0: Welcome to Life in Private Staffing, with me, Philippa Smith, MD of Silverswan Recruitment. As we all know, the private sector is a pretty crazy one. Not only can it be very challenging to work in, but it can be pretty lonely too, as let's face it, no one really understands what it is that we do. So let's come together, help, support, educate and inspire one another, and hopefully we'll have a laugh along the way. Everyone. Welcome back. I don't even know what we're on now. What are we on? Episode 7? I should go back and count these episodes, really. This is our Season 3, Episode 7. I wonder how many we've done in total. Yeah, here we are. Episode 7. Hope you're all well. Today, we have got another American on. You can tell I'm hanging out in there with uh, American people a lot recently with our new Miami office, because I've got loads of really good American guests to come on. But today we've got Natalie, and I have been connected with Natalie now for a couple of years actually on LinkedIn, because she's very active on there as well. And I've been really interested to see what she's been doing the last couple of years, because she's set up Private Service Alliance, which everyone in the States will know about this already. And it's brilliant. It's just a brilliant community that all private service professionals should be part of. And it's even for more than just that, not to professionals but for vendors and recruiters and educators to sort of come together and you know all collaborate and network and learn from one another etc and as everybody knows, I'm a massive fan of collaboration and communities. And, you know, we do a lot of community work. So brilliant. Lots I want to speak to her about. In addition to that, she's got about 20 years experience in the field, formerly trained in the Netherlands as a butler, and then worked her way up to estate management. So really, really good experience. So yeah, lots of want to cover, really. But as always, um, I want to introduce our sponsor for this season, Kelly Dixon Estate Management Systems former estate manager, put together a tool that if you're not using by now, you should be. A project management tool system that can manage everything that you need within your role as a house manager or estate manager. On there, you can manage all of your contractors, all of your staff, all of your to-dos, all of your schedules, all of your budgets. You can do it on your mobile. It can be used by everybody. It's brilliant. She's also offering a discount of 25% off if you use the code Staffing 25 So go check it out, Estate Management Systems. Um, yeah, it's fab. We've had really good feedback on it so far, actually. Brilliant. So cool. Let's get started. Welcome, Natalie. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. So, another one all the way from the states. Where are you based? I'm based in. (laughs) I have two homes. Um, I'm based in Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, cool! What have you you got two homes? That's amazing. Where's your other home? Minneapolis. Very nice. And so, is it kind of like a seasonal switch? Yes. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. And when you say seasonal switch, so you don't have to be in Miami when it's really hot. Is that when you jump ship? Correct. And then I also don't have to be in Minneapolis
1: when it's wicked cold. That's like a dream. Yes.
0: <laughs> How long have you had that up for?
1: Uh, just during the pandemic, we bit the bullet. My husband and I didn't anticipate doing this for at least 10 years. And because of the pandemic, we both had time off and said, let's get out of here. We don't want to spend the winter you know, in the tundra and let's go check it out. And we found a little place to buy so this is my second winter outside of the
0: snow. Yeah, oh, lovely. Well, you know what? It's actually, I think, post-pandemic. Well, it's the changes of people's sort of like lifestyles over in Florida, which led us to open our office in Miami. Because two or three years ago, it was purely just people popping there for a bit, going home. And it's just a lot busier now, isn't it? A lot of more people are sort of residing there a lot more permanently. Yes.
1: And the opportunities for private service professionals have increased exponentially.
0: So, brilliant. Well, I'm glad to hear that, having opened an office about a month ago. <laughs> That's just what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And you know, I don't know if I've talked about this on here before, but isn't there's a huge sort of Bitcoin hub there now. So there's a huge presence of sort of tech giants now in the middle of Miami. Plus, like you say, a lot more people just deciding to use it much more than a secondary home. So yeah, requirements for our services are, you know, significantly more than before. So it's great. Absolutely. Yeah, fab. All right then. So I we have been connected on LinkedIn now for a couple of years. I'd say one another sort of lovely, you know, relationship built off the back of a pandemic. But you've done it all, really. I feel like you've got so much experience in the sector, and you've been doing a lot for the sector over the last couple of years. There's loads that I want to talk about with you. Let's take it right back, shall we? So where did it all start for you? When and where did you even learn of the private sector?
1: I started my private service career as a live-in nanny in 1995. I then went on to the International Butler Academy and graduated as a butler and personal assistant in 2001. And then I worked my way
0: up from being that butler
1: to an estate manager.
0: Yeah, lovely. And your Butler Academy was over in Europe, wasn't it? It was in the Netherlands. Netherlands, yes. Ah, there's so many people go over there for their course. It's great. It's
1: phenomenal. I highly recommend it. How long was your course? My course was 10 weeks. But quite intense. It was very intense. We didn't have weekends off. We went to class seven days a week. We had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together in addition to evening lessons. And I can't think of anything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, like, and it's just mad to think. If I was to think, right, what do I need to do to to be a butler? To fill seven days a week for 10 weeks, that's a lot, isn't it? A lot of content. So it just goes to show the, like, complexities of you know, working as a butler, PA, et cetera? It was 60 to 70 hours of content a week. Wow, yeah, mad. And do you think it was off the back of that course? Do you think that course really shaped your career? Absolutely. And some people question the validity of or the value of
1: learning the old world traditions. I was taught by a 75-year-old English butler who had worked in royal palaces how he managed an estate and how he managed the staff And learning why we iron the newspaper just helps with the theories behind things you do now in present day. You don't have to do it, you know, the way they did 100 years ago. But those foundational stepping stones really help create a phenomenal launching point for making those split second decisions that you need to on behalf of your principal to make their world amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's so not even undervalued but people just don't sort of know and some people sort of come to us and say oh do you recommend doing training or studies before I go get a job does you know is experience better than sort of qualifications but I just think with these kind of roles you can't beat that level of qualification and learning etc I agree especially in such a competitive environment as well when lots of people are sort of fighting for these roles if you've got like formal training
1: And you know, having a college degree is phenomenal, but there's not a single college course that teaches you how to run someone's private life.
0: Mm. And private service training, butler training does that. Yeah. Well, I would say if I was to look at all of the butlers that we've registered in the last 12 months, I'd say a very small proportion are formally trained. It's sad. But then from their point of view, it's very expensive, doesn't guarantee a different type of career in their mind. And I suppose if they've got like a job offer on the table or they could go spend thousand, thousand pounds on the course, they would probably take the job. But yeah, if anyone's sort of listening, like if you don't know where to start, start there, start in a training course.
1: Yeah. For example, I was between roles and there was a course available. I sat around and waited for a couple of months before the course started, did some other additional things on my own that weren't part of the course. And then I went on to my first role after my training in and of itself covered the fee that it cost me to do the training and then some. Yeah. So, you know, it paid for itself in the very first role. So if you think of it from that perspective.
0: Yeah. It's just an investment, isn't it?
1: It is. It's an investment in your your future and in your career. And it has paid off in spades every single year since.
0: You've also done a luxury lifestyle management degree, haven't you? I did. I did. I don't think I even thought that was a thing you could do at university. It typically isn't.
1: I found a university that had an individual studies department that allowed me to curate a degree plan focused on luxury lifestyle management.
0: Yeah, good initiative. And then was it useful, that as well, just as useful as the Butler course? Absolutely. Wow. It
1: actually confirmed that the majority of the things that I had learned in my Butler training was of university level content.
0: Yeah, lovely. So moving on from your sort of studies then, so obviously you then went back after your course, back into the sort of industry. Yes. And talk us through how you sort of progressed, because you sort of got up to sort of the state management level, haven't you? Yes, I was an estate
1: manager. My most recent position lasted about 10 years, and where I managed a family of four who owned homes in multiple states in the US. And it was a delightful relationship, And sadly, I was downsized. From that role with the sale of several of the properties, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. Well, ten years—a
0: good old stint. Absolutely. Yeah, I love. I love to see that because when I look at that, I just think because I always look at it from the candidate point of view. Even though a client's our clients are clients, ultimately our candidates are our clients, really, because we aren't anything without our candidates. And I look at that and I just think, how nice for a candidate to have a job that you know continues to like develop them and look after them for that duration. Like that's rare. Absolutely. Especially if you enjoyed it the whole way through. So you had four properties to look after. Multiple properties. We'll go with that. <laughs> oh, sorry, multiple. Sorry, family of four. Yes. Multiple properties. That was my, that was my mix-up. And was that a bit of a step up then? Because obviously a butler and service, and obviously nanny experience to managing a home. Was it a bit of like a sink or swim situation, or did you go in as a butler and sort of develop? That particular role, I started out
1: as a household manager, then stepped into house manager, personal assistant, and eventually became the estate manager when they started adding additional properties. I'm in awe of people
0: that can manage multiple properties. I'm obviously very familiar with the role. I'm very familiar with the sector. I haven't done it myself. I have worked in the industry, but more in the chalet industry. And I just think it's such a nuts job. People that don't know, what you guys do is mental, basically, as an estate manager, and, you know, we, we have these sort of a few of these communities knocking around full of estate managers and house managers. So I get a really good insight on a daily basis what they're sort of talking about and dealing with. And I'm just like, this job's ridiculous. Like no day's the same, like very challenging, often isolating, a huge responsibility on your shoulders. And um, yeah, like it's mad, but it's one that people thrive in. Obviously you wouldn't do it. So people obviously like this pressure. Absolutely. I love the variety
1: of tasks on any given day and not necessarily knowing what those tasks are going to be when I walk in
0: the door. What was the size of the team that you had in that 10-year
1: position? I had about a dozen, we'll call them independent contractors at the main property. And then I had two or three at each of the additional homes, and along with a couple companies, like we had a a landscape company that handled that. I actually was the first private service professional these employers hired, and I was the only employee during my tenure. That's a different model, isn't it? It was a very different model, which was not always easy to work through, but I made it work. Why would they say we're going to having staff? It was the culture of where we were located. We were located in the heartland of the U.S. In, out of Minneapolis. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of wealthy people there. But similarly to Warren Buffett, their thought process is, if I can't do it myself, it doesn't need to be done. Mm-hmm. And there. Out of having staff is not something they're comfortable with. And, you know, they'll hire a housekeeping service and they'll hire a groundskeeping service and they'll hire a dog walker and they'll hire, you know, peripheral people. But to bring all these people in as their own staff is very pretentious to them.
0: Oh, this is fascinating because we have some clients, as you probably know, who are the complete opposite. They want to be seen to be flashing, flashing the cash and they, want to be seen with a massive bodyguard and it's all for show a lot of it you know so then to what well, a different experience to then work for a family that the complete opposite they don't want to be seen to be flash or have the staff even though obviously having their staff internally probably would have been cheaper and better for them because you know you'd be training them and I couldn't convince them otherwise oh my goodness me <laughs> well stress well I suppose you could keep some Form of normality if you keep the same contractors all the time and try and have that relationship and all the rest. Wow, I treated those businesses
1: or you know business owners and contractors and vendors very very well so that they understood the value that I brought to the table, being that buffer between them and the principal.
0: Yeah, and great for all those local suppliers, great business for them. Yes, and so you were there for ten years. Obviously, it's a long time, sort of being a position. What is it you love then about working? within the private sector or working with these kind of clients. What drives your passion? Oh gosh.
1: My favorite day is whenever I can throw on my superwoman cape and make my principal's day amazing. Whatever that might be. Rescue them from some travesty that uh, came
0: their way and, and just you know flip the world right side up again. I think there are days that I can imagine being so challenging And, you know, you're in the firing line when things don't go wrong, but then equally when things do go right, very rewarding, providing the principal can communicate that with you. Sometimes it's just the smile on their face or the
1: relief that I see on their face that I know that I've that I've been beneficial in their
0: life that day. Literally changing lives, isn't it? Absolutely. It really is. It really is. Um, and so um, when they sort of downsized then at 10 years in, what did that sort of mean for your career? What steps did you take? Were you looking for another family? Were you looking to do something different? I was
1: looking for something different. And at that time, that was in 2017. And it was crazy because I hadn't, done, I hadn't been to college yet. And every estate manager and director of residence role that I was looking at or applying to said, college degree preferred or required. Mm. I'm like, seriously, really? You know, I got 20 years in here, been to Butler school, 10 years in my last role. What more could you want? And I kept getting to the final interviews and they were choosing the other candidates over myself, even in, you know, when it came down to the last two. So I bit the bullet and That's when I found this university and started drafting my college degree. So I took a few years off and worked on that. While I was in college, I was president of DEMA's virtual chapter where I created, produced, and hosted weekly continuing ad style virtual meetings with subject matter experts relevant to the private service industry. And that kept me connected to what was going on in the industry at that time. And then I ended up graduating from my college program during the pandemic. By then, the Domestic Estate Management Association had filed bankruptcy. And I guess you could say that launching Private Service Alliance
0: has became my pandemic project. Lovely. We'll go into that in a minute because I've got loads to talk about that. Sure. So isn't that funny? Like, Isn't it funny how like life works out where you've got so many no's because you lack disqualification, you've got the qualifications, and now you're not even seeking those roles anymore anyway? Unless you maybe are seeking those roles now, who knows? Fortunately, I took some business classes too, so it is helping me on this end. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly as well. You know, I, I think when I, I remember when I went to university, it wasn't really because there was any particular degree I wanted, it was just I wanted to go to university. And, um, and actually, right. it's all the skills that you get from that, they're, they're never ever wasted. You, they're, they're all relevant and applicable and transferable, you know? Yeah, I was involved in DEMA back when DEMA were around. They came to London, didn't they? And set up a London thing. I went to a few of their uh, things and whoever, what come up with the two guys' names are now, I met them for breakfast a couple of times. But yeah, sure, I made it farther than it did because the concept was good. Obviously, hence why you probably went on the Private Service Alliance because the concept was good, but maybe the sort of structure didn't work potentially. So that brings us on to Private Service Alliance. So well, I've been following in this for a couple of years now because it's definitely something the industry needs. So give us a bit of background on sort of what it is and what the sort of purpose of setting it up was.
1: Sure. So, well, our vision is that Private Service Alliance is a global membership organization supporting the private service industry to develop professional relationships, establish industry standards, grow industry knowledge and promote best practices.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Because it's such an, this is such like an unregulated industry. So pretty much anything goes like he's over here anyway. And what that leads to is is just some shockingly run households, some poorly performing people, like you say from industry standards point of view, no connection between these people at all. So it's like, we would talk about it all the time. We're trying to do the podcast and a few of the bits and bobs that we do, just trying to help bring, you know, create a community to bring sort of, like say, private service professionals together and through those channels, if we can be educating and raising company standards as well, then brilliant. What does this community consist of, or who does it consist of? We launched in January of 2022 with
1: 2,300 private service professional members. We gifted them membership for this year, and then we've launched to agencies, educators, and business partners. So that's a, that's a lot of people. Well, when DEMA closed its doors and filed bankruptcy, I purchased their assets out of bankruptcy.
0: Ah, clever. Good. Yeah, nice. So therefore, that's brilliant because the people were involved for a reason. They wanted this. They would have been disappointed when it sort of folded. So you're giving them, giving them something that they need. A
1: lot of them were left with a bad taste in their mouth when DEMA did close its doors. And I wanted to somehow pay it forward. And so that's why private service professionals are free for this year. So they can get in on the ground level and help shape the organization that promotes and represents them best.
0: Yeah, lovely. And then what's the sort of plan with that? Is it sort of meeting regularly or doing online
1: events? Yes, yes. The current benefits include a searchable online directory, uh, libraries for documents and videos. We have chat boards that are called workspaces. And we launched our first chapter in Palm Beach, Florida, and are discussing where to start our next chapter. London. In London. Okay, well, let's talk. (laughs) And one of our committees is currently working on a super secret project that I'm really excited about that should roll out sometime this summer, along with a job board, a private service professional survey, and we also will be having virtual meetings, hopefully at least once a month. Brilliant. You know what you should also have, which would be useful, is a salary survey. I'm creating an annual survey that's everything from nuts to bolts about themselves, their education. Their current role, their previous roles, their training, their education, and their salaries.
0: The more data and information you sort of got, the more we can sort of be using it to sort of distribute back out and, like, basically educate clients. I think our clients in our sector, a lot of them need educating really as to um, where they should be today, and they need to have evolved from twenty years ago, which many sort of haven't. So often we speak to clients like, "Oh, this is what we've always done." It's like, "Well, yeah, but it's twenty twenty two, mate. Like, things change and." Salary change and then no wonder if people are leaving your old, you know. You know how those gas prices go up because the
1: demand was so high. Well, guess what? And supply was low, same thing happens in private
0: service. Supply is low, demand is high, prices go up. Yeah. And as people are talking about a lot at the moment, what's alongside that, which is um, you know, they need to be aware of what they're trying to do is do the opposite, a lot of employees at the moment, and create these bloody hybrid roles. I'm so sick of hearing the term hybrid roles, but they are, and it's kind of like we're looking for a housekeeper who can oversee four properties and then clean the garage and look after the kids and uh, cook food. And it's like, this is a ridiculous conversation.
1: This is not 200 years ago. This is not the time of slave labor. These are human beings that are very talented and are specialized. And, you know, you wouldn't ask an alligator to fly. Why would you ask a housekeeper to watch the kids?
0: These people have money and they like good quality and good standards yeah i don't understand why they can't see that having a member of staff spread so thin is not only going to burn them out and give the member of staff a horrific life but they're not going to get a good service across the board at all they're going to get an average cook a distracted nanny not a very thorough housekeeper enough time, enough so it's just really odd that these are very intelligent people because they've made their own money on most of them but it's just odd to think well all you need to do is put an extra member of staff or two in the house It's only going to cost you actually a couple of salaries, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot. And then their quality of their life is going to be significantly improved because the service is going to be better. It's just really simple stuff. It is.
1: I don't think they understand that the personality and the mindset of a chef is very different than a housekeeper, very different from a nanny and very different from a household or estate manager. Exactly. They're different people,
0: different training, different backgrounds often.
1: Not only that, but just their natural bent of their personality, the way they're wired. You know, a nanny needs to be engaging and playful and fun and whatnot, you know, with the children. And yet a housekeeper needs to be able to be completely isolated. And oftentimes many of the very best ones are very, very, very introverted. You know, where the chef's needs to be able to juggle multiple things that could be burn up the house at any given time and manage to serve the entire meal hot and cold depending on which dish it is simultaneously you know so the personalities are very different as well
0: yeah true don't get me wrong there are lots of households out there that get this or if they don't they'll listen and they hire effectively and have a very well run home but it's when they don't listen that's the issue You know, when people sort of come to us, it's not often because they are recruiting for the very first time. It's often, you know, they're replacing somebody. and They're coming to us because they're saying, none of the other agencies can give us what we want. And it's like, well, why are we going to do any different? Because if it was a realistic role to fill, they'd have filled it, you know? So, um, and actually, I've never been more put off a new client. I love a new client, obviously, but um, not when they sit there and slug off every agency they've ever worked with, because I just think, well, we're not going to succeed because it's not the, none of this falls on the agency side. It's obviously him. So it's never attractive for us. You don't have unicorns on staff or ready to go. No.
1: <laughs> the unicorns don't exist for a reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a very, very candidate short market at the moment. So, you know, the, we're at the minute where candidates have all the power, and they should 100% utilize it. And, you know, you can be a sort of thorough and picky, you know, if 10 house managers walk watching the door tomorrow, we'll probably play some more and need more. Like, everybody needs more of everything. And, yeah, so this is not the time, if I was an employee, this is not the time to try and be tight and awkward and difficult and have a bloody 10 interview stage process. And some clients say to me, oh, we like making them jump through hoops to see how committed they are. Cause they're not committed at this stage. They barely know you. They're going to go elsewhere. What a stupid game to play. Absolutely. Oh dear, honestly. I really should end up ranting about clients with podcasts. I do love the clients. I always end up having a bit of a rant about things that frustrate me. I've
1: actually written a few pages on my website that address many of these issues. You know, trying to set some principal expectations when hiring candidates and... Some of the hiring practices that they've explored and how those typically flesh out once they've jumped in. And then also the different roles within the household, who's who in the house and what those candidates do best, where they develop their skills and how they're promoted within the industry,
0: and also what the current salary markets are for the US. I am digging them straight out. That's that's great stuff to have available, and anyone listening can as well. How useful. Because, yeah, that's another massive thing, not even having the right staff in the house, for what they actually need, or titling them wrong and not having the hierarchy hierarchy as it should be, et cetera. You know, sometimes like I can see some households, you want to go in, like the whole thing up and start again, literally start again. You obviously can't, but you can, you can sort of rebuild slowly. But yeah, but I think sometimes when people get it so wrong, it's just when, you know, It's just sort of evolved that way and and without them even realizing it. It's not like they decided once upon a time to sort of build it this way. It's just as the house has grown and the family's grown and things have changed, you know, they haven't really adjusted accordingly. They just keep sort of, you know, trying to bring the same people in without really realizing it's a very sort of different beast now. Absolutely. I would say the principals should be looking to adjust,
1: at least look at it every five years. How are their staff operating? If you've got an infant, absolutely a nanny is phenomenal. But, you know, if they're all in high school,
0: do you really need a nanny anymore or maybe a family assistant? Yeah. And I think at this stage, it'd be good to bring in an external consultant to review this because having everybody in the house not really, you know, stuck within it, bring a consultant in. Absolutely. And that's something I offer as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you'd get it. You can go into a house. What would you do? Sort of like just look for a few days and then sort of report back. Yep, I'll sit down with the principal on the
1: first day and discuss their pain points, what they love about their staff, the people, the work they're doing, and the way the service flows through the property. And then I look at you know the things that they're not thrilled with, and you know maybe they're achievable, maybe they're not, and maybe with a different service provider or another service provider we could reach that level, depending on you know who's there and. Who wants to play? Because there's so many job opportunities, sometimes it might be easier for them to leave than it is for them to change hats.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. And not be afraid to to decide to to think that either. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Then I spend a few days going through the house, shadowing people for
1: little bits of time, getting a sense of who they are and how they operate in the house. And then I make my final recommendations. And sometimes you have a fabulous group here. Don't rock the boat. Yeah, the best thing you could do is you know give them an extra day off or throw them a barbecue or you know do something
0: to show that you appreciate them. Yeah, nice. You know, I actually think this my agency. Sometimes I think it'd be really good. At, you know, I've been doing this for a little while. I've never really been trained how to run an agency. You just sort of you have a good recruitment consultant and then you employ some staff and you're sort of wanging it the whole way through really which is hand on heart what I'm doing and it would be so useful sometimes to get someone in to be like right just come and like sit in our office for a week and critique and then you know we'll pull it to bits and put it back together again it'd be so it'd be pain bloody painful but it'd be useful right so yeah but having said that I think some people would rather keep their head buried in the sand for a little while longer if they could and that's probably the issue that a lot of people have they don't sort of want that critique do they but people listening to this then, so I think that's a really useful service. People listening that, you know, if you're in a, you know managing at home on behalf of the principal and you think that'd be a really useful service, definitely reach out to Natalie. And we'll obviously, you know, link with you when we put this out, because I think that's a really, really beneficial service. Like I say, even if you just come in and assure them that this is working brilliantly with a few extra tweaks, it could be perfect. Or have you thought about X, Y, Z, which are quite dramatic changes, but could significantly enhance everybody's sort of experiences. So very useful to know you doing that. So Private Service Alliance then, this is brilliant. So Private Service Professionals can come for free. There will be a a small membership fee after the first 12 months. Is that how it's going to
1: work? 2022 is free for Private Service Professionals.
0: And then starting next year, there will be a fee. But that's good because then you're going to get people that, you know, seriously want to be part of it. Actual professionals.
1: Exactly. In addition, I encourage agencies to include private service professional level memberships to the people they place. And they can tell the principals, you know, we place private service professionals that are members of Private Service Alliance. And the longer we're around, the, the more that will mean. And you could include that as part of their employment package. You can also sell it to the principal as, you know, it keeps them relevant in the industry with best practices and access to luxury vendors and business partners
0: along with our educators as well yeah definitely any sort of form of training they can receive because that's the other thing as well even if people do go through the formal training route at the start of their career years later there's probably no kind of refresher training no kind of you know extra training that they seek so if any of that's available throughout the reliance that's brilliant isn't it and like you say a great thing to add on as a perk when you're sort of placing a calendar that's brilliant i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna look into that Okay, Fab. And I think you're doing something. You're doing something in um, Miami. I knew. Is it this weekend? Palm Beach.
1: Yeah. A former colleague of mine. Her name's Katie Carter. She was part of the Palm Beach chapter of DEMA, and she is now with IYC, which is the International Yacht Company. And the Palm Beach International Boat Show and Super Yacht Show is this weekend in Palm Beach, and so we are launching our first chapter at the palm beach boat show on the water in the harbor as an after hours event so we're super excited
0: very nice and when this goes out this might actually be not very time it may have been the weekend just gone i would have come if i was there i would have come that would have been fun and actually we actually have a um, silver swan miami uh, or Silver Swan florida Um, house manager estate manager whatsapp group and everyone's talking on it by the way about it everyone's on there and posting your infographic and recommending it so i actually knew that was happening before i even spoke with you so there you are people are talking about it love it i love it i love it brilliant so moving on to the next part of the podcast is there anything you'd like to ask me i always get really scared at this point be nice but anything you'd like to ask me What's your favorite part about recruiting? Hmm. You know what? It's really funny owning an agency because you always do recruitment and then you sort of grow your agency and you end up stepping back from recruitment and then you don't end up doing recruitment. And I really, really, really missed it. And then um, you end up looking at spreadsheets and training how to be consultants and that kind of stuff. And then since we opened up Miami office, I'm now um, servicing a lot of the clients that are coming through in the States and I'm back recruiting again and I'm buzzing. Like I, I completely forgot how much I love it. And so yeah, it's that sort of few weeks where I'm sort of talking to clients, taking roles, negotiating salaries, fees, registering candidates, doing all the referencing, like proper getting my hands dirty again, like, like the olden days, like it's brilliant. I'm loving it. So what is it that I love about it? I'm such a people person. I find people absolutely fascinating. I find this industry absolutely fascinating. And I literally can't stop talking. So when, my, if, if my job involves talking to people who I found interesting all day, then that's a very well-spent day for me. But no, I think what I love most about it is I find it incredibly interesting, but I find it incredibly rewarding So, giving people what they want. And actually, I find it more rewarding on the candidate side than the client side. The client side is brilliant. Client thinks you're great, received a service better than they've received from any other agency, which we get a lot. Obviously, they pay us, brilliant. But actually, it's the rewards that you get from the candidate side. Because of our sector, our roles are fascinating. Because we operate in the Middle East, we do a lot of recruitment in Saudi, we have an office in Dubai. We recruit some very high profile families of celebs, socialites, royals, actors, all the rest. Like the world that we put our candidates in is just so lovely to see because you'll take somebody that's worked in a five-star hotel very much in the background and you'll put them in like a royal household. And the candidates are just like, this is insane. You've literally changed my life. You opened this door for me and I'll never have to go back now. I'm literally now in this world. I've got this CV that's so... Like great. Um, people are now traveling the world, people are earning insane salaries, especially over in Saudi. And so it's just so nice when you get sort of candidates sort of come back to you three years later to say, like, you've literally changed my family's life. Like, from what I was doing to what I'm doing now, and the money I've been able to send home off the back of it is just absolutely like just incredible. So it's more the reward for that. Obviously, you have your down days, you know. If you haven't got a thick skin, you're not gonna be a good recruiter because as high as your highs can be, Your loads can be pretty shit. You're relying on people to represent you well and you've got candidates that you believe in that let you down and don't end up being who you think they are and all the rest. So when things don't go well, you just got to be resilient and fix and get get yourself back up again. But generally, it's just a really rewarding role. I find it weird when I speak to people who say, um, oh, you work in recruitment? Oh, I tried that once. It was horrible. I'm like, really? I think it's all to do with your recruitment environment. And I've worked in some you know, proper spit and sawdust recruitment offices where it's like Wolf of Wall Street, like, you know, phones, phones, aggressive and you know, all that kind of stuff. We don't have that environment here. And um, and so I just love it. And as I say, having stepped out of the recruitment game sort of itself, doing it myself for a number of years and being back in it now, I'm just buzzing again. I, I haven't lost my love for it at all. How did you find, so as an estate manager, I've, the other thing that blows my mind with estate management or anyone else that does recruitment for me, it's a full-time job. All we do is recruitment. For you guys, it's such a small part of what you do. So like, I can see why a lot of household managers like, just find it a bit of a ball ache when it's like, I've got a million things to do. Yeah, I still need to find staff. Or did you enjoy that side of it? When
1: I was not under the gun for could actually foresee that we would need staff coming in the future, I enjoyed it. But when, you know, something happened in the house or whatever, and I would have to jump in and stop everything and jump into the recruiting shoes, I found it painful because I just had so many other pressures hitting me from so many sides that to be able to give it the 110% that it deserves was difficult.
0: Yeah. And you end up with a rush recruitment process. And whilst I like decisive recruitment processes that, that move quickly, you don't want to rush recruitment process because it becomes slapdash. And if a candidate feels that, it puts them off entirely. If they just feel rushed through and you've got 24 hours to accept our offer or not. And it's just so off-putting, you know? So you're rushing, but you don't want it to feel rushed. Um, and then obviously you've got the other stress where it's crap and they just chef by six o'clock tonight and it's three o'clock. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been there. But no, I know a lot of people who recruitment is the worst part of their job and it's like they can't believe I do it. It's a bit like how I couldn't bear to be a removal man. I can't think of anything worse than moving a house again and again and again. But people like it out there, don't they? But there we go. There's something, if everybody it was the same in the world, if we're all the same, the world would be a very boring place. It's very important that we like different things in life. Indeed. That's what I always say. Okay, so just to sort of finish up then, we always finish with a supplier shout-out. Any supplier in particular, or suppliers that you could not live without that would like to recommend? Yes,
1: The Home Trust International is a prestigious network of the finest design professionals and brand resources for luxury homes. They serve sophisticated families and those who value connoisseurship and good taste, and it is widely recognized as the luxury standard for estate homes.
0: Wow. U.S.-based? Yes. Ah, I never even heard of them. I didn't even know that. That's that's something I've never heard of before, even as a service. Fab. Do you use them? Absolutely. Yes. And I'm one of their advisors. So, what do they do? They come in, and if I called them now, what would I ask them to do? Well,
1: you can use them as a resource to connect you with. You know, do you need a metal fabricator? Do you need what kind of services? Luxury services? Do you need for your home?
0: So, um, if you're a house manager, or estate manager in the US, and you're looking for a specific designer or sort of supplier of sort of luxury goods, etc., in the private sector, these are good people to go to, and they've got a huge network. Yes. Oh, fabulous. Honestly, I'm learning tons. I love having Americans on the podcast because I'm learning loads. We have covered loads today. Love talking to people. I love talking to people who've been there for a very long time. I'm always love to hear positive stories from people that have had that professional formal training. Work their way up. I think that's inspiring to sort of people listening who want to go and do a butler course to know that they can get through to a state management position. So I, I love hearing stories like that. And then the Private Service Alliance, I've been dying to hear more about. Definitely going to get involved. Definitely a sort of a something that I think I want to incorporate Silver Swan in, which is great. And anyone that's listening that is not a member, you've got, you know, however many months left nine ten months to uh, for free come and join and see how useful it is, network with other people, make some friends. And then you know what you're paying for, don't you? Off the back of that, you know it's a worthwhile investment. So, and our founding members
1: are helping to actually build the organization that they want. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking for their feedback and their assistance in creating the organization that they're really looking for.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you very much for your time, Natalie. Anybody listening to this that wants to connect with you, whether it's from a consultancy basis, getting involved with the Private Service Alliance, we'll make sure that all links are put up so people can find you very easily. When I come over to Miami, if our days match, we are having a glass of wine in the sunshine. Fabulous. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time, Natalie. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you once again, Natalie. Thanks for your time. And I hope everybody enjoyed it. If you are in the States and you're not yet a member, please come and join Private Service Alliance. As we've already said, it's free for the year. So why not? Hope you've all enjoyed that. As I said, hope you all have a good couple of weeks. And as always, you know where we are. If we can help with anything, if you're looking for work, if you're looking for staff, we're at Silver Swan Recruitment or you can contact me directly at philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com. See you guys soon. Bye.